welcome to Ridgecrest Baptist. We thank you for listening. Now, here is this week's message. Judges, in the, in the Old Testament, after Joshua, the book of Judges, chapter 1, and we're going to begin in just a moment with verse 1. This is a new sermon series, and I think this is going to be an exciting sermon series. We don't make the Bible relevant. You know, people sometimes say that a preacher or a church can make the Bible relevant. We don't have to make the Bible relevant. It is relevant. It's timeless truth. And you're going to see that as we walk through this study together. The title of the sermon series is Our True Savior. And the title of this sermon tonight is The Peril of Partial Obedience. The word peril means danger, grave danger, the peril of partial obedience. So what we need to do with the Bible is simply understand it. We need to take the Bible, we need to understand it, and then we need to apply it to our lives. That's the purpose of preaching and teaching the Word of God is application. When you read the Bible, you're reading the Bible not for information but for transformation. So preaching is for transformation, and Judges is a story of life transformation. It's for transformation, and it's a true story. This is the true story from the Word of God. It's the story of a people that were very similar to us. They had the same decisions to make in life. They lived, they died in a a time period where they had had a society full of temptations and many choices they had to make. And they had to decide who they were going to worship and who was going to be in charge of their lives and what they were going to devote their time and energies to. And they had to prepare for eternity. And that's the same thing that we're all walking through together in this community of believers here at Ridgecrest. And so they were people, and they were people just like us. And we're going to look at their story tonight and enter into it uh, in over the coming months as well, and in a very exciting uh, study. So I want us to begin tonight with the Judges chapter 1. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 18 and read 18, 18 through 20. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Joshua that the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted me that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I, in turn, will go with you into the territory allotted you. So Simeon went with him. Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hands, and they defeated 10,000 men at Bezek. They found found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and fought against him, and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued him and cut him, excuse me, and caught him. And cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Now walk down to, or go down to verse 18. And Judah took Gaza with its territory, and Ashkelon with its territory, and Ekron with its territory. Now the Lord was with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, because they had iron chariots. 
They, then they gave Hebron to Caleb, as Moses had promised, and he drove out from there the three sons of Anak. The essence of the Bible, brothers and sisters, is that we are to learn to trust God. If you had to summarize the Bible in two words, it's trust me. And God's will for us is total obedience because of this reason. God knows that when we partially obey him, then our story will be the story that's reflected in the book of Judges. Partial obedience harms us, and because God is a good father, he wants to prevent his children from being harmed. There's peril in partial obedience. It's dangerous. It's perilous. And partial obedience brings our lives into a similarity with the people of of God here in the Old Testament where they began to face conflict in their own lives, which was a result of the the remains of uh, people that were in that land that were involved in idolatry. And so this text is a call to go into our own lives, to search our lives and ask God to show us in our own lives. And it's a great, it's a great challenge to do this, but to say, God, where in my life am I partially obeying your word? Where in my life is Jesus only partially the Lord of my life? And what do I need to do tonight about it? And will you give me the strength to, to bring about your will in my life? And so this is what Judges 1 teaches us. It teaches us that there's dangers involved in partial obedience. And so we have to, and, it's, and as you're going to see, there's, it's not just us that it affects. And so uh, if I told you you are exposing your children to danger, you are exposing your grandchildren to danger, then you would sit up and listen. You would say, that's important. I want to understand how could that be. And so, uh, obviously, tonight, we, we're going to see that the, the descendants of these people were affected by the, the decisions that they made. And so we're going to look for just a few minutes at these. And what I'm going to do is give you three dangers of partial obedience. And I want to give you a chance to respond at the end of what God's laying on your heart. And then we'll have a time of prayer. And I'm going to invest the majority of the time in the first one and then the two uh, items in, that are uh, at the end, and I hope. Did y'all see that there's handouts out there? I hope that you did. Uh, I meant to say that we might want to ask somebody to walk up and down the aisles and pass them out. In fact, I'm going to let y'all do that. If you need a handout, uh, I'm going to try to put them on that table. And I meant to say that at the beginning of the, the service because it's a brand new thing. This is the first time I preach on Sunday night here, I think. So. I'm going to, and Sherry made copies in, of my handout, and she put those on the table as you walk in, and we'll try to do that if we're having a normal preaching event. While those men are, and again, raise your hand if you need one, but uh, those guys are helping us out, and they're coming forward. That's always going to be a, something I want you to do, is to get a handout, because I hope that when you go home, um, that you take this handout and you pray over it. We're going to talk more about that uh, at another time, but I want to uh, remind you while these guys are getting set, we need one at the front up here, Anthony. I can see with Ivy or several. I want to uh, remind you next Sunday night that that we're going to have a special time for the youth to share. And so um, come ready for that as well, and then we'll we'll go from there. Um, I think the following Sunday after that, Brad is going to actually... Have the children come and worship and have some time with Brad to share with the, the children and what the children are experiencing with their camp as well. 
We'll play that by ear. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three dangers of partial obedience. We're going to respond to God, and we're going to look at the first danger for the most of the sermon, and then the two or others are going to be toward the very end, okay? The, the first danger of partial obedience. I've already sort of kind of gave you a hint from these, and notice from your handout that it says the first danger is, number one, you fail to realize, excuse me, you fail to rely upon God's power and to experience thorough victory in your faith wall. The first danger from partial obedience to God's word, we're talking about when you half, you half obey God's word, is you fail to rely upon God's power in life, and then you fail to experience what I would call the victorious Christian life in your faith walk. And the book of Judges begins with the, the, the death of Joshua. If you look at the way it starts out, it, it says at the very beginning that Joshua had died. And if you were a Jew, you would have noticed, hey, that's the same way the book of Joshua started out, except it was the death of Moses. They use a parallel language there. The writer of, of Judges is paralleling the beginning of the, the book of Joshua to say this is like it was when Moses died. But it's different. There is a difference here. Moses died and Joshua came in to, to be the leader of Israel. But when Joshua died, there was not another leader. It was the end of an era, but it was also the beginning of a new time period where God was calling on the people to, to get into a place where they had a personal faith, where they became the leaders of their own tribes, and they were also going to be relying on God's power. God was the king. That was God's plan. Joshua and Moses were not kings. They were mediaries. They, were, they uh, came in and helped the people as priests in order to point them to who God was. But Joshua and Moses were never kings. And just by way of review, Joshua is one of two spies, if you recall, along with Caleb, that had been sent by Moses or allowed to go by Moses into the promised land, and they came back and said, yeah, there are giants there, but we can do this in God's power. Do you remember that story? And Caleb and Joshua were the only two who said, yes, this is going to be, they're giants, and we're like grasshoppers, but we've got this because God's on our side. And Joshua had, uh, you know, had that, that whole spirit throughout his life, and so Caleb and Joshua become symbols they're real people who are symbolic to the Jewish listeners of this original story, to the original audience. They were symbols of the victorious life of a believer. They did what God said. They fully obeyed. They, they had a, a striving after God and His ideal. And so when you read their story in first, uh, the first chapter of Judges, what you're really seeing is, is an ideal of what God intended for all of Israel to have. And they were blessed. You see, you'll see that Caleb and Joshua, especially Caleb in here in this, this text, he is set apart as by the, the author and the writer of the book of Judges as, as somebody who has uh, been blessed in life. And they're following God's plan. And the plan is to be on mission. And what people don't understand today is that the mission of God in the Old Testament is the same as the mission of God in the New Testament. The fall of man started God's plan and mission, and that is uh, the same plan in the Old and New Testament. It's essentially to redeem what was the fallen humanity. God saw the sin of mankind, and he immediately began to enact a plan of redemption and restoration. And the mission of God has always been 
to get raise up missionaries and send missionaries out that would tell the world how they can hear the gospel and through faith in God come to the salvation. And God's plan in the Old Testament was this. He wanted a kingdom of God set up in a geographical place that was very strategic where the, there were crossroads of major trade routes. He was going to raise up a people that would know him intimately. And he did that through the person of Abraham and his descendants. And the, the God's will was for them to share the gospel with the nations, to become a kingdom of priests, and for them to spread the gospel until the kingdom of God actually was a global kingdom, not just a geographically limited kingdom. That was God's creation, our, our original plan for Abraham and the Jews. And God said, I'll be the king. You're not going to be like the other nations where you need a king. And Moses and Joshua, again, were, mediated, were mediators between God and the people. And the term judges comes about as a result of the fact that the people continued to get into problems and therefore they needed to have what the Hebrews called a judge. And it's misleading because in English, our term for judge means somebody who sits and adjudicates criminal activity and all the things that a judge does in a court of law. But that's not what it means in the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, the term judge actually means deliverer. One who delivers, one who is a savior. So the book of Judges could be called the book of saviors. It is a series of people who will deliver the people from their oppression. And it's a book of judges um, that's, uh, that are human judges that all are flawed. Every single one of them is going to have some sort of a human failure in them. And so what this does is it, is it points to this transcendent need that we have for a Savior who will not be imperfect. We need a true Savior, a hero Savior. We need one who will come and, and not die like Joshua and Moses did, and one who will not fail us like all, like Samson will, for example. And so, the, again, Judges is going to point to the need for the Messiah. And the book of Judges actually opens as, as the book of Joshua ends. And so, if you are uh, looking to have a good quiet time this week, I'd encourage you to read Joshua 23. In 24, because it helps you to understand, and we don't have time to read it here tonight, but it would help you to understand the context of Judges chapter 1, the last two chapters, because one of the, the key things that Joshua says at the end is the land has already been promised to you. Have you ever, do you remember from vacation Bible school, it's promised, E-D, with a past tense? God had promised victory and given the land to the people. It was not like he was saying, you still have to go, you know, and it may or may not happen. And what he basically said is, if you will let me be your king, then you will be victorious. Joshua chapter 23 and verse 5. I don't know if, we, if I gave that to you or not. Yeah, I did. Okay, the Lord your God. This is one, one verse from Joshua 23. The Lord your God, Joshua said, he will thrust them out from before you talking to the Jewish people before they entered into the, the last campaign. They were in the promised land, but they still had to fight all of the, the people that were, were remnants there. He said, he'll thrust them out before you and drive them from before you, and you will possess their land. 
just as the Lord your God promised you. But again, all this was contingent upon them being faithful to obey God. They had to have full obedience. And again, we don't have time to look at it, but if you go and look at Joshua 23 and 24, you're going to see that there's some things that God, through Joshua, clearly told the people of Israel not to do. He said for them not to intermarry with the people that were there. And all of this is driven by the fact that all of the mixture with these other cultures is because God knows that, that the other culture, that secular culture, will overwhelm his people. He said, I don't want you to intermarry with them because their religions, their idols will overwhelm your love for me. Don't mix in with these other cultures. Don't imitate them. Don't practice their practices. Don't be like them. Don't enter into covenants and agreements and make arrangements with them. So again, instead of uh, all of these uh, practices that the Canaanites were to have, they were supposed to... Be, they were supposed to have a different worldview. So the application is you are supposed to have a different worldview than people that are not believers. They are not our enemies. We have not been authorized by God to, to you know, drive them out of the land. That's not the point. The point is we need to have a, a different worldview based on Scripture than people that are not saved. And so we need to have the, the, the viewpoint that we can't mix in our practices. We can't mix in what our way of making decisions, our way of looking at life with a secular worldview, because if we do, it will, it will fundamentally change God's plan for our lives. And so, you know, again, God gave them, it was a special time when God was using the agency of the armies of Israel it was not universal, but God had told them, you are my agent of judgment and I will allow you to be the, the, the judgment against people who had been given sufficient amount of time to come to the saving knowledge of God. They had been presented the gospel. They had had the opportunity to come to Yahweh and the gospel and the faith that was in that region and those people, those Canaanites and the other ites. They had turned away from the, the truth of the gospel and said, we don't want this. And they had reached a point where God said to them, it's your judgment day. There is a day coming where God will say, there's not any more time for you to come to Christ. And that time came to these Canaanite people and the other people and the agency of destruction in their lives and the agency that would terminate their life was authorized and ordained by God to be Israel itself. It was a unique time. And it was judgment that came about uh, as righteous judgment because they had over and over and over, those Canaanite people had rejected an opportunity to come to the gospel. And so the takeaway again is that God has a plan for our lives and he needs for us to be faithful, to be fully obedient to a biblical worldview. And so he doesn't want us to mix in in our lives with other things from our culture that are going to impact us in negative ways. The story opens up, and there's a great deal of promise here. There's a positivity, there's a promise-type atmosphere in this message. And it's a beautiful thing because Joshua dies, and the very first thing they do is they pray. And you think, this is going to be good, because the very first thing they're doing is praying and asking God, what should we do? In verse 1, they say, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites? 
Who, what God, what's your will? And the Lord said to them in verse number two, verse two, God, Judah shall go up before, Judah, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Pretty clear. Who do you want to fight first? God says, Judah. It's a done deal. I've given the land to Judah. And all of this looks great until we get to verse three. Then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me. And this is why I love Hebrew narrative. It's, my, it's probably my favorite genre in the Bible. And this is what's called Hebrew narrative, which means storytelling. It's a story. It's like when you were a little kid and somebody said, hey, let me tell you a story. about." It's called the book of Judges. Once upon a time, there were a group of people. And as soon as you hear once upon a time and you're like, oh, I'm in. You know, and how does it, what, what happens next? Oh, Okay. And what's his name again? And what were they doing? And it's different, for example, than Colossians because Colossians is an epistle. It's a letter. So it's a different type of... of, of and then you have places in the Bible that's poetry and like this, and the, the Psalms are. This is Hebrew narrative. And one of the hallmarks of the Hebrews when they, when they would write is they don't tell you the main point. And what they want you to do is play the role of Sherlock Holmes. And that's why I like it, because you can put your Sherlock Holmes hat on. I guess you can put your pipe in your mouth, just don't light it up. And uh, you can begin to be a detective. And that's what we have to do when we come to this, this story. Because the author of the book of Judges probably was Samuel, and most scholars would say it was Samuel. And what he's, his writing is very subtle. He drops phrases, he drops things that I would call clues for us to see, and he repeats phrases and includes things in dialogues, and every single thing that's in there is, is for a reason. It's actually something that I think God ordained by his ability, his mastermind, to be able to write so that it actually serves as a filter between people that are truly seeking to know God's will and seek God's face and those that are really not that interested in who God is. Because if you're really not that interested, you're not going to spend a whole lot of time reading the book of Judges. And God is saying, I'm looking for those that want to hear my gentle whisper. And so uh, it's a filter, which, by the way, I believe the parables in many cases serve the same function. When Christ would talk in parables, he was saying, if you really want to know, if you really want to come after me, then it's going to take you a little bit of time to process this. So the, the storyline here is different from our Western way of thinking because, see, as a Westerner, i.e. Western civilization, we want to just give me the bottom line, preacher. Just what's the bottom line? You know, and we hear uh, a lot of information maybe in a business meeting or like in a military briefing, and, you know, generals are famous. Just, you know, Captain, what's the bottom line? Uh, you know, give me the main points. And that's not what the Eastern mindset of the Bible authors is like. They want you to dig it out. They want you to meditate on it. They want you to ask questions. They want you to work through it slowly. And what happens here is Judah is told what to do, and then they immediately ask another tribe. And so we as the good detectives need to ask the question, what does that mean? And the answer is Judah was partially obeying God. And, they, and then that question becomes, why? And the answer becomes because they really didn't trust God. 
And it seemed like common sense would mean that if we had more troops, we'd be better off. So what can it hurt to add a few more tribes other than just the tribe of Judah? Because God, really, just in case you don't show up, and just in case you don't come through, we'll take care of it ourselves by coming up with a plan that has a little bit more common sense than yours does. And I'm just going to tell you really straightforward, the book of Judges blows out of the water the concept that many Southern Baptists have that we should operate on common sense. If you don't believe me, go ahead and read the book of Gideon. Excuse me, the story of Gideon, where God is saying, yeah, you got way too many troops, way too many. Bring it down, bring it down, whoa, bring it down. Because you're going to get all the glory if you do it with all ease, so let's just knock it on down to 300. But in essence, what we have here is Judah saying, we've got a little bit smarter way, a more commonsensical way, God. And we are then told that they, they have success, and so we're thinking, hey, it, because it was successful, it has to be right. That's another danger. Then they capture this Adonai Bezek, which means Lord Bezek, Lord, uh, like Adonai, king of the Bezek people. And they cut off his toes and his fingers, which to us thinks, well, that's kind of cruel or whatever. But see, here's the deal. That was a Canaanite practice, and that's how they dealt with their prisoners of war. Two problems. Number one, it was a Canaanite practice. Number two, it was a prisoner of war, both of which are prohibitions against uh, God's orders from the book of Joshua. He said, don't take any prisoners. See, the day of judgment's already come. And instead, they kept the king alive. Maybe they could negotiate with him. Maybe they could use him as a pawn. They wanted to kind of show him off. They wanted to say, hey, you've been whipping up on us. Now we're going to whip up on you. And and that's why the author says, so they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. Yeah, he eventually died, but that wasn't what God's orders were. It's a subtle clue. So what we're seeing here is that the Canaanite people, they're using... Excuse me, the Jewish people are using the Canaanites' way of fighting. They're beginning to have a partial obedience and a partial intertwining. And rather than trusting God's power, they're becoming a hybrid between the God's ways and the world's ways. That's, pretty, that's a pretty big deal in the Christian life. Rather than relying on God's power, when we become a hybrid Christian, we're like half secular, half worldly. We're living in the realm of partial obedience. And the things that happened to these people are going to happen to our families as well. And it's perilous. It's dangerous. That's why God is saying to us tonight, every single one of us, including myself, trust me. I have a plan. Embrace my power. Embrace my word and trust it. And the application also is uh, we can't be trusting... Um, our power to fight life's battles. God's got the power. He doesn't want us to use common sense in many cases. He wants us to use faith. And um, the consequences are not attaining to his blessings of life like Caleb and Joshua did. And then we see another clue, and I'll just summarize this for you. And again, I would encourage you to read this. I think you'll get more out of these sermons. And my prayer is that you go home and you meditate on this. Like, God, why did you have me there? It burns me up when I talk to people, and you're probably going to hear me say this 50 times. And I say, hey, I see them at lunch. Let me just go ahead and say it because I already started it. I probably shouldn't say this. I see people at lunch. I'm like, what did the preacher preach on? They're like, 
I don't remember. I'm like, please remember what we're talking about beyond lunch. Okay, so, I mean, I'm thinking if I'm not affecting you any more than that, then we need to have some, something's got to change. And so, anyway, I want you to, to take these home and think and meditate on them. And, it, and so you need to get more out of it than we have time to flesh out in the sermon. But if you read chapter 1, what you're going to see is there's an interlude between the two passages I read. And it's a story about Caleb. And Caleb comes back in and it says that they gave... Uh, Caleb comes along and says, hey, if somebody will give a fight with me, and, because he's from Judah, he says, I'm going to give my, my daughter, who apparently was knockout gorgeous, because that was a big incentive, and then he says, um, I'm, you know, you're going to be related to me and all the good stuff and all that. So the guy named Othniel, who's from Judah, he says, I, you know, I'd like to do that. And so he fights and becomes victorious. And, and Caleb is fully successful. And in that, his daughter comes to, and they, they capture all this land in the Negev, which is in the desert. So in the desert, which is like the Sinai Desert Peninsula in the southern part of Israel today, and it's just sand out there, there's, there's, the, the daughter comes and says, will you give us, my family, some springs? And he gives them the, the choice springs in the desert. And so again, we're asking, what does that mean? Why is there this interlude? And the answer is, it's a compare and contrast. You've got this partial story of, of partial obedience in the, in the story of Judah over here, but then you have this exception named Caleb and his family, and they're drinking from the fresh, cooled, cold springs of water in the desert. And it's a picture of life with full obedience. Because Caleb, again, is symbolic of what it means to have that fully obeyed life where you're not partially... Uh, obeying God and partially letting Jesus be Lord of your life and then also partially serving the idols of the world. You know, some people will say you're keeping one foot in the world, one foot on, in the church, but it's the same kind of concept. And this is all, uh, you know, seen in verses 15 through 18. And after that, and we come to verse 19. In verse 19, it, you know, it says, Now the Lord was with Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. And, that, what, and again, you may say, well, that sounds reasonable. I mean, they had iron. We didn't have iron. And so the question then becomes, uh, is God not able to raise up armies strong enough to defeat irons? And it's interesting because, again, this is a sub-verse from... Joshua, in Joshua chapter 17, verse 18, I don't think I have that on the screen, but I'm not sure. Joshua 17, 18, just so you can write it down, but this is, that verse says this, you shall drive the Canaanites out even though they have iron chariots. Though they have chariots of iron and though they are strong, you will drive them out. Joshua 17, 18. So again, the narrator says, being a good Jew, we know you know that verse. But yet we've got this subtle clue that the iron was, uh, or the iron chariots could not be overcome. And so, the, the, again, does he whack, whack you over the head with it? No. But what is he saying? He's saying to us that they're making excuses, but really what they're saying is that they're, they were not able to have a full victory in their life. They were not living the victorious life. And the root cause, they said, was because of iron chariots, but that's not truth. The truth was it was because they were not trusting in God, and they were not fully obeying God. 
And so we, we come to this um, picture. To me, it's a picture like a tire that has a slow leak. They are a slow leaking tire. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had that where, and you look at it, and at first you're like, hey, do you, do you, Noel, do you think that tire's low? Does that look a little low to you? Ah, no, I think we're good. And then, and then you see it again, and it's a little lower, but, and then you may put some air in it, and for a few days it works, and then the air just slowly leaks out, and that's a picture of what's happening here. They are, they've got a slow leak. Sometimes partial, here's what the takeaway is on that partial obedience oftentimes is a slow leak in your Christian life. So it's insidious. A blowout where you realize, oh, this happened. That's why we need to think about areas of our life that are... We are practicing idolatry all the time as believers. And God is saying to us to deal with that. And He says, here's what happens when you don't. Uh, Look at verse... um, and again, verse 20, Caleb defeats the Anak, the Anak, they're giants. Goliath was from this group of people. Caleb defeats the giants, and yet in verse 21, verse 21 says, But the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Listen now as we pick up this theme. Verse 28, verse 28, at the end of it, it says, But that tribe did not drive them out completely. We're talking about the good guys against the bad guys, okay? They did not drive out them completely. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. Verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. At the end of verse 32, for they did not drive them out. Verse 33, did not drive out the inhabitants. Six times from verse 28 to verse 33, there's a repetition of the phrase, did not drive out. That is a Hebrew narrative, like Major Kluberg, whacking us over the head, saying, do you understand, when I repeat six times the phrase in just these few verses, did not drive them out, that there's an implication to that in our lives today. And listeners at the time, and for us as timeless listeners to this, and that's our second danger The second danger of partial obedience is you fail to drive out pockets of idolatry. And they ultimately undermine God's best plans in your life. That's why you have to deal with it, and I have to deal with it, because God's got plans for us and places He wants us to go and things He wants us to do. And when we don't drive out the idols in our life, it undermines those plans. And for people that were listening at the time, they would have had had 300 years of knowing their, the history. So the original audience was hearing this 300 years later after knowing the history of all these people which they had gone through. And you'll see as it unfolds and you'll learn their history again, which is basically cycles and cycles of oppression and misery. And they're asking the question, or actually they're answering the question, now we understand how we got into this mess. Now we know how our ancestors got into this mess. And so in Judges 1, it comes to an end. There's actually this, what I would call partial victory mentality. They had some victories, but they had some defeats. They had, it was half victory, half defeats. And I would argue that that is a picture of the many people that are in churches in America today. And there's a consequence to that. When you live the half-victorious Christian life and the half-defeated Christian life, there's, it, there's implications. And it, I'm going to just read one verse. And it's actually um, one we're going to put on the screen, I think, 
for you. And that is Joshua 2, in verse 11. And on the screen it says, then the, and this is kind of letting you know what the results of this are. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And that's the final danger of partial obedience. Number three, when you fail to demonstrate, when you live a partially obedient life, the implication or the, the outcome of that is you fail to demonstrate the reality of God to those you influence and, and you fail to pass the gospel to the next generation. And that is the motivation tonight to drive out idols in our life Amen. because it's affecting our children and our grandchildren because it affects us. And there's people, and it affects those you influence. They're looking at us, and what they want to know, they want to know is, is following Jesus something that's real? And does it affect your life? Does it change you? Does it bring about um, what they don't have in life, which is peace and joy and satisfaction? And that's what God wants us to express, and it, we're only going to be able to do that if we drive out the idols in our life. And so um, the question then is, what do we need to do? And the answer is the same thing they needed to do. They needed to trust who was in Judah. Because, see, what they failed to understand is there was a secret weapon in Judah. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his name is Jesus. And God, that's why God said, I want Judah to go up first. Judah went up first because... The real Savior, the true Savior, our true Savior, is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And Jesus is the one that we need to say, I'm going to obey you fully and let you be the full Lord of my life. And that's what God is asking us to do tonight. So I'm going to call you into a time of decision. And Would you bow with me and let's just respond to anything God's put on your heart. Whatever God is saying to you tonight, maybe you just want to pray and ask God to evaluate your heart this week. And help you to have power from God, the Holy Spirit, to be transformed into the image of Christ. That's a good prayer. Tonight, if you need Christ, I want you to walk the aisle and take my hand and say, I'm lost. I need Christ to come to me and say, will you help me to, to become a, a follower of Christ because I'm not one. We hope this message will help you in your spiritual walk and growth. For more about Ridgecrest, please visit us on the web at www rbc-tuscaloosa.com Have a great day and God bless.